We'll be looking at a passage from the letter of James with you this morning. Let's turn to James, getting towards the end of the New Testament after the letter to the Hebrews. James, we read first from James chapter 3, then all of James 5. James 3, verse 13 to 18. This is God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then going ahead to chapter 5, we'll read all of chapter 5. Our attention will be on what James says about patience in verse 7 to 11. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, 
And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our text this morning is from James 5, verse 7 to 11. We'll read those words again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Beloved in Christ, when someone is recovering from an operation or healing for illness, they'll often pray for patience. They'll say, I need patience from the Lord for this. Patience while I wait for healing, patience for my time away from regular activity. And sometimes when a person in our life is getting antsy or restless, or a bit cranky, we remind them very helpfully, patience is a virtue. It is a virtue, but not one we're very good at. We can probably be patient for a little while, but that soon runs out. We can try very hard to be patient with another person, but after they've had a couple grumpy days, our patience starts to wear thin. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, and yet this fruit needs so much cultivating in our lives. What are we so impatient about? Well, we're impatient when there are setbacks, like poor health, we said, when healing takes a long time. Maybe we've been praying for years to receive something from God's hand, but we haven't seen his good answer yet, and so we become impatient. Or there's some other burden, like a person dear to us who seems to need constant help that tests our patience. We pray for strength, for wisdom, and today we also learn about our need to pray for patience. We say, how much longer, Lord? When will things ever improve? And then we've still got to keep on waiting. It's good then that God gives us encouragement in patience through his word. He knows we need encouragement here, and he gives it in James 5, 7 to 11, which I preach to you on this theme, God calls us to be patient until the Lord's coming. Imitating good examples of patience, not grumbling against one another, and remembering that Christ's return is near. Well, the take-home message from our text is clear, isn't it? Underline Verse 7, be patient, 
First two words. And then also in verse 8, you also, be patient. If God gives the same command twice in two verses, then we better listen really carefully. But this instruction is not something random that James comes up with as he wraps up his letter. Ah, yes, he thinks, uh, be patient too. No, it's connected to what James has already said. And the clue to that lies in our text. Be patient, therefore, brothers. That word tells us we need to look at what comes just before our text. Why is James telling us to be patient? The first part of our chapter explains. He just warned the rich brothers and sisters in his congregation against exploiting the poor and treating them unjustly. There were a few very wealthy people in James's congregation, it seems, and there were many others who were poor and powerless. It might be shocking to us, but it sounds like the rich folk were oppressing their fellow members. James says, you need to stop this bad behavior, stop this oppression, but until they do, until they repent, he says, the rest of you have to be patient. And it wasn't only that situation that he has in mind. The rest of James's letter gives us a glimpse of what these believers were going through. James talks, ready in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 2, talks about various trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What are those? We can think of the temptations of the devil, the pressures of the world, the ridicule of the ungodly. We can think of the illness that we have to deal with, the brokenness. The circumstances of a child of God will not always be easy. In fact, they will often be difficult. James says, or Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Beloved, even in the best moments of our life, there is mixed in this measure of sadness. Every day again, we know that things are not as they should be. And when our earthly situation is difficult, in one way or another, what do we do? When you are mistreated or when you are running out of hope or when you feel a burden in your life that looks to be permanent, what is your reaction? Well, we're all tempted to react in similar ways. Frustration, to despair, to grow bitter, to lose heart. But James counsels us, be patient, therefore. Now, patience is a Christian virtue which is often misunderstood. When we think patience, we think of a passive activity. It's when you're basically sitting around doing nothing. That's patience. Like when you go to the doctor's office and she's running 45 minutes late again, and so you have to be patient. And so you patiently scroll through your phone and you watch time slowly creep onwards until your name is called and then you don't have to be patient anymore. Patience is just another word for idleness, inactivity. No, the Holy Spirit isn't just telling us to take it easy, 
just chill until things change. In Scripture, patience is a hope-filled expectation. Patience is letting go of your own timing, your own circumstances, and holding on to God's timing and what God is doing in this moment. True patience says that time is not our own, but every moment is directed by our good Lord. That becomes clear in how James finishes his first command. He says, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. We'll come back to that later, but for now, notice how we can be patient, because we already know how all this is going to end. We don't need to worry or stress because the day is coming when Christ will return. That's the big goal of everything. That's the time frame of which our lives are part. Living here on earth, some of our problems will not be solved. Some fractures will not be mended. Yet don't get frustrated by that reality. Look forward with patient expectation because you already know, beloved, how all of this ends. Jesus is coming again when he will make all things new. And to encourage us in patience, James gives us a few good examples. The first example is that of a farmer. Look at verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. A farmer is a worker, and the fact is some work is done quickly. You can vacuum the kitchen probably in under 10 minutes. You can solve a math problem with a bit of concentration. You can install new gutters on a home in probably less than a day. But a farmer has a different kind of work than that. He has to wait months and months. He has to be patient. He's planted his crop. Now he prays for rain. In Israel, many crops would be planted toward the end of the year, approaching winter. The farmer waits for the early rains, says James. That's the rain of late October, early November, because without moisture, the seed will not begin to grow. And then the farmer has to wait some more, waiting for the late rains, the rain that will fall in April, May. His crops need that last dose of moisture in order to mature to fullness. So you understand, a farmer spends a lot of time waiting, praying, hoping. Because he's so dependent on the weather, a farmer might appreciate better than most people just how much he needs to rely on the timing of God. The farmer knows he can't control the rainfall or the sunshine, but must look to God and trust in his will. And that's true for us. We must depend entirely on God's timing, not our own. We can't control the economy or our health. We can't control how other people react to us. We can't control whether our children will believe in Christ. 
but we can humbly look to God, trusting Him, praying to Him, being patient with His will, because we know He is our Father in Christ. And once again, this patience means that we don't just sit and do nothing. Think about that farmer waiting for his crops to grow. He's put the seed in the soil, but he's not done working. After planting, he's busy battling weeds, he's fertilizing, he's fixing the harvesting equipment, he's making room in his barns, he keeps working. And so should the child of God. We patiently wait for the Lord, but then we also work on strengthening our heart. And we work on looking past ourselves to other people to serve them. Looking past ourselves to God to worship Him. And to encourage us some more, James gives another example. Verse 10, if you look at that, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We meet many dozens of prophets in the Old Testament. And one of the, thing, one of the things that a lot of them had in common was suffering. Being a spokesman for God was not an easy job. Think of how Elijah was persecuted. Think of all the abuse heaped on Jeremiah. The prophets often brought an uncomfortable message, and so godless people reacted by beating them, putting them in prison, even trying to kill them. If you had that kind of job, I'm sure you would hand in your resignation very soon. But the prophets didn't quit. They patiently endured. For example, Jeremiah ministered in Israel for more than 40 years. He persevered through four decades of insults, attempts on his life, and a total lack of fruit on his work. The prophets stayed on task because they were committed to the Lord and his ways. Think of the prophets. See how God rewarded their patience. Says James, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. They remain steadfast. When we face difficulty, I know it's true for me, it doesn't take long for us to think about giving up. Why should I keep doing this? Others don't have to deal with all this stuff. I'm going to quit. This is just too hard. But God delights in the one who sticks with it. We count them blessed who remained steadfast. Jesus said that too. He who endures to the end will be saved. One more example of patience. Verse 11. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. If anyone needed patience, it was Job. He lost everything for what we would say There's no very good reason at all. Job was a righteous man, a child of God, but the Lord took everything away from him until he was left alone on a garbage pile, scratching his wounds. Job struggled, no question. 
He reacted strongly, agonizing before God, sometimes speaking too boldly, and yet he persevered. Despite everything, he did not lose faith, but put his hope in God. Think of his confession offered from the ash heap, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last upon the earth. Patience was not easy for Job, yet still he submitted to God and trusted. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. For just remember how Job's story ends. God blessed Job, restored his fortunes, even more than in the beginning. Job never learned why it all happened, but God had a purpose in it. And this is how Job persevered, by looking to his Redeemer. And that, beloved, is the whole key to patience. If there's one thing you take home from the sermon, it is this. Patience means that we can rest in who God is. Patience is rooted in God's character. God, the one who comes near to us in Jesus Christ. We can be patient because we know the Lord. That's how James wraps up his reference to Job, simply saying this. Look at verse 11. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. That really is a conclusion when you get to the end of Job's story and you see the generosity of God in restoring Job, in forgiving his friends, despite all the grumbling and complaining, God showed compassion and mercy. And God does the same to all who fear him. That's the kind of God that he is. There may be moments in life when we think God has forgotten us or when we feel that God has mistreated us. But if we patiently cling to God, at the end, we will always be able to say, in Christ, our God is compassionate and he is merciful. A second point, part of patience is not grumbling against one another. When things are going badly, it's very hard not to take it out on the people around you. If you're not feeling well, you have a toothache, or if you're under stress at work or you're frustrated, then surely you have been impatient. Impatient with your friends, short with your parents, you've lashed out at your spouse or your children or anyone else unlucky enough to cross your path. Well, James's church was under strain, we said, economic hardship, persecution, temptation, and as a result, they were getting upset with one another. Chapter 4 mentions wars and fights among them, as well as evil speaking. Now, in our chapter, James exhorts them, verse 9, do not grumble against one another. The word grumble has a sense of muttering, murmuring, complaining. Just think of the Israelites in the desert 
grumbling against Moses as soon as things became a bit tough. That's our tendency. Not only do we struggle to be patient with God, but with other people. When we feel the pressures of life bearing down on us, we become sharp with our words. Our critical spirit starts leaking out. We get nasty. Why does this happen? Maybe it's our instinct for self-preservation. When we face trouble, our first thought is to make sure that we're doing okay, I'm doing okay, never mind everyone else. We are naturally, all of us, self-focused. We're curved inwards on ourselves. And so when life becomes hard or challenging, we quickly give up any thoughts of being generous or kind. I just don't have time or energy for things like love and understanding. When we're under pressure, parents run out of all grace for their children. Under pressure, husbands and wives shut down against each other. Church members withdraw into their private corners because all those other people are just so difficult. Don't do this, says James. Don't be impatient. Don't grumble. Now, in our text, he doesn't give us the alternative. doesn't say what to do instead. But if we look back a couple chapters to that portion we read, we see the spirit we should have. Chapter 3 is about living according to God's wisdom. He says there, chapter 3, verse 17, listen to this, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's such a wonderful description of the Spirit's fruit of patience in our lives. You can say that you are a patient person when this is true of you. You are peaceable, you are gentle, you are open to reason, you are full of mercy and sincere. And this brand of patience is long-lasting. We saw that our patience with God's timing should not depend on our circumstances, whether we're happy or sad, strong or weak. We put our hope in God and wait patiently for him. Well, in a similar way, our patience with other people should not depend on circumstance. Whether you're having a great day today or a grumpy day, you aim to show kindness and mercy. But that's hard. And what can we do to overcome our impatience with others? Well, an essential activity for every child of God, we all know this, is prayer. Prayer, firstly, for those that you're tempted to criticize or those you're tempted to grumble about. If you care for them, then you will pray for them. And pray for yourself that your patience might be strengthened. Even one of those short prayers as you pull into the driveway after a long, difficult day at work 
Or one of those prayers before your kids get up in the morning. Holy Spirit, help me to be patient. Pray for patience. And do this too. Learn to set a guard over your mouth. You've probably noticed this, that so often our impatience comes out through our words. So we learn to withhold our critical and harsh words. Think about when they are likely to come flying out of our mouth. Restrain your tongue and learn to speak words of truth and grace instead. And we can also look on other people with the love of Christ. This irritating person in front of you, this imperfect husband, this vexing woman, this difficult brother is precious to God. In Christ, God forgives him. God cares for her. God is richly patient with this person and with you. And so we ought to do the same. Look on them with the love of Christ. Don't grumble against one another, James says, so that you may not be judged. Verse 9. That's a really serious reason for us to put our impatience to death. If you always condemn other people, if you always blame and criticize, James warns us that you'll be condemned in the same way. God alone holds the position of all-knowing judge. When it comes to other people, we so rarely know the whole story. We actually know so little about other people's stories. We often let our judgment of them be clouded by our personal interests, by our prejudice. And so our enduring disposition toward others should be patience, forgiveness, and mercy. Because, says James, the judge is standing at the door. As we interact with other people, think of Christ as the judge. James says it's as if he's about to open the doors of the courtroom and convene his court. He's right at the door. The day is not far off when he will require that we give an account for every careless word. So don't grumble amongst yourselves. Think here of what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 5. He exhorts us, let your gentleness be known to all men. For Jesus' sake, be gentle with people, compassionate, willing to help. And now listen to the reason Paul gives. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Just like what James says. Christ is right at the door. He's near. And so he calls us to live in his way. That brings us to final point, remembering that Christ's coming is at hand. Beloved, what's the time frame or the schedule that you're living by these days? People give different answers to that. For a young couple looking forward to their wedding, 
their whole time frame is ruled by how long until the big day. For a grade 12-er, time is all about finishing school. And now you are done. A man in his 60s might be thinking a lot about the next four or so years until retirement. These are the things that we think we need to be patient for. But a different time frame is laid out in the Bible. It's not about earthly goals or milestones. It's all about the return of Christ. Remember again, that's how our text begins. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. That is ultimately what we're looking forward to, to that day when Jesus comes back. It's not a day that we can know. It's not like that wedding date that you circle on your calendar. We don't know when Christ's return will be, but we must not forget that it is going to happen. We often forget that. It is going to happen. Christ is taking such a long time that we stop thinking about it. Or we become careless in our living. But it is going to happen. Verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. Paul says it too in Romans 13. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost over. The day is at hand. The church has never been so close to the day of Christ as it is today. God's schedule is moving steadily forwards, unstoppably progressing. The church of Christ is being built. The elect are being gathered. The measure of wickedness on this earth is being filled up for judgment. It will happen even any moment So Christ's people have to be ready. This is what Peter says in his first letter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Think of that farmer who plants his crops and then patiently waits by tending the fields, preparing for harvest. Likewise, in this time of waiting for Christ's return, we have to prepare Beloved, use this time to put off sin and every weight. Use this time striving to be blameless and at peace with God and with others. As Jesus says, we are like the servants of a king who went away on a long journey, but who will return. Servants who have to be ready to give an account when our master comes back an account of the time you've spent and the goals you've been busy with and the work that you've done. And be patient. God doesn't see world history and time like we do. We might think it's high time for Christ to return. When we see all the wickedness in the world, the intensifying hatred of those who love God, we just wish that the Lord would hurry up Then we hear again this word from the Spirit, be patient until the coming of the Lord. That's not 
just hoping that you can hold on to the end. No, we acknowledge every moment is directed by God and Christ will return when the time is exactly right. As we said before, we're learning here to rest in the character of God. He is the wise and faithful and good God. He is compassionate and merciful. And so we know God has not forgotten his children. God has not forgotten his church. And then there's one more instruction we need to hear. Look at verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. If you're going to be properly patient in these days, then you have to work at it. You need to establish your heart. Literally, make it firm. Solidify it. And it will be very hard to be patient if our hearts are distracted by many worldly things. It's hard to be patient if we've only set earthly goals for ourselves. If life is all about today and all about here, then any trouble, any setback will seem to us to be like an overwhelming loss, an unbearable delay. But when our heart is established in Christ and his word, we can wait. When we fixed our eyes, not on earthly things, but on the coming harvest, we can be encouraged. When we're resting in the Lord, he'll surely help us be patient. In closing, listen to what we are told in Psalm 27. We sang that. Psalm 27, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen.